0: This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual
1: content. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. With me today is my amazing co-host Valerie Ellis. I'm the favorite for herself which is (laughs) weird um and our guest today is the amazing dana Woo! who literally has the best background ever so if you're listening and not watching you should absolutely watch this podcast on youtube okay dana
1: welcome welcome to the podcast thank you thank you for having me i've been really looking forward to this podcast all week mainly because i like to drink wine
2: (laughs) yeah yep I'm telling you this is the entire reason I do this because I get to drink with cool people and I have a podcast so nobody can say anything to me about drinking with cool people all the time I'm like, you Listen, I do this professionally <laughs> hey that's uh, the best kind of job exactly okay let's talk about what we're drinking then I actually I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Dan who I have a granddaughter she's one year old but he got me this uh, mug that says other grandmothers and Man. oh I
1: love that that's great yes
2: but because it's cold up here and rainy and foggy right now I am drinking um mainly Kahlua that I put some coffee in and some creamer <laughs> with a little chocolate syrup and pretended like I was drinking coffee I'm doing quotation marks because that yeah, the just quotation marks I have a new puppy and I'm getting no sleep so that's what I'm doing today Val what are you drinking today Stayed up late doing a revision so i'm having coffee with baileys
0: oh, and a wow. cup that i believe i inherited from you that says i don't spew profanities i enunciate them clearly like a fucking lady <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, you did get that okay, okay i
1: can already tell this is my kind of podcast <laughs> <laughs> um so dana what are you drinking well, you know, it's kind of foggy and overcast here, and I tried to lighten things up. So I've got some Prosecco going. I threw in a little fruit. I'm just trying to. Oh, my goodness. Yes.
2: I love that. You were super fancy. You were. I'm super fancy. fancy.
1: That's it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we have these ridiculous coffee cups, and you're like, "Let me just pull out the prosecco with some fruit in it. Let me we'll show you."
1: you hand sucka, hand. throw some blueberries in there, make it look all pretty.
2: Oh, it's <laughs> I, I
1: as well have a brand new puppy, so if if things go to hell in a handbasket, <laughs> you'll know why. No, <laughs> totally. Every club.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think Bow's got a new puppy too. Mine is right now supposed to be sleeping in a room above me, so if you guys hear barking that just ended badly. So
1: yeah, I I have the most wonderful husband in the world. Who's over there ready to grab him and taking out at the moment's notice if he starts carrying
2: on. Very cool. Mine's got a little separation anxiety. So when she goes into her crate, it takes her a little bit to self soothe. I actually had to buy this stuffed puppy that I put a heating pack in and a little heartbeat thing that it's and it works way better. I have one
1: too. Yes. Yeah.
2: It's like a snuggle puppy thing. Snuggle and puppy. The yeah, things exactly. we do for our dogs. It literally has a heartbeat thing that beats I, I about and like thumps in the, the stuffed animal. So it feels like a heartbeat. And then it's got a little heating um, thing that you shake up and it lasts for 24 hours. And it makes the stuffed animal feel like a warm cuddle thing. Wow. It's the yeah. best
1: invention ever. Somebody told me about it and I thought it was crazy and we bought it and this dog oh. has slept through the night. And I think it's because of Snuggle Puppy. He loves Snuggle Puppy.
2: Yeah, I agree, I agree. Okay, weirdness. Um, now that we're done talking about puppies for a moment, <laughs> Val's like, I'm gonna Google this so I can order one immediately so I can sleep. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Dana, what do you write? What, do you, what, 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 yes, talk about what you write for a moment.
1: Well, the three books that I have out right now are part of a series called the Lexi Montgomery series, and they're about a female FBI agent who works undercover. Um, my background is I was an FBI agent for twenty almost 21 years, and out of the 21 years, I spent about 13 years working as an undercover operative, so when I started to write the books, the character of Lexi Montgomery, who's my protagonist, came right out of my journals so everybody always says, is Lexi you? Well, she came out of my journals. I'm not sure that she's exactly me, but she did come out of my journals. So that's where those three books came from. They are um, uh, th- they fall into the mystery or thriller um, category and they do very, follow up on, I never set out to write a series, but they sort of all follow up on one another. So they kind of evolved into a series.
2: That's very cool. When did you start writing? So. First of all, FBI agent, that's amazing. We're going to have to touch on that because I saw Val's eyes light up and I'm like, you cannot use her for research on the podcast. That's not what this is about. Nice try, though. So when did you decide to write a book? When did you go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book.
1: Well, I started writing the first novel the end of my career. I was uh, probably a year and a half to two years from retirement. And the reason I started writing it was I kept journals for my undercover work. And I kept them hidden in my, the ceiling panel of my undercover apartment. So when we were in the middle of a transfer, I started looking through all my journals and that's when I started writing the first book. And I never really set out to write it for the public. I started out writing it for my mother more or less because mom, all these years of me working undercover, never really knew what I did for a living. I mean, she knew I was undercover and she knew like I was in California and that was it. She didn't have any idea about the groups or what I was actually doing. So I thought, how fun would this be to write a manuscript, let my mom read it. And you know, that's kind of where I started with it. And I entered it into a writing contest when it was in manuscript form. And nobody had seen it. I hadn't even shown it to my husband yet at that point. And it won best novel. So uh, the judge actually hunted me down. And he said, look, You know, I've heard this whole story about you writing this for your mother and that's silly. You have to write this to have it published. So that was the start of the writing journey was because of a writing contest that it won. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he's right. It it was kind of fun. And at that point, uh, I went right into the second book. I enjoyed writing. It was uh, a good outlet for me. So it was a good stress reducer. (laughs) I I really (laughs) enjoy writing. I think
2: that's awesome. And that's, that's amazing. So I also, you know, it's interesting because I think some of us on some of our characters take parts of our lives. Um, I I know I did that under uh, my other name I write under, which is Dahlia Lance, which is humorous erotica. I took pieces of experiences that I had or friends had and wrote it into the characters and stuff like that. So when you're writing, I just have to ask, since this is from your background, I know it's a fictionalized version of you. It's not, this wasn't written as a biography, so it's not you and your you know, thoughts. What, what was that like going back through those experiences?
1: Well, when I was writing the first book, I had no idea that it was actually going to be as therapeutic as it was. I was at the end of the career and I'd kind of come out of an undercover mission that went bad. And I didn't realize at the time that I needed, uh, probably needed actual therapy, but I started writing the book and pouring the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions out on the page. And it it was therapy, but I didn't recognize that until later in the process, I guess. Uh, But it, it was, it was completely a therapeutic thing. And good and bad. I mean, I was reliving a lot of the stuff that was hard, but I was also kind of putting it, using it to put it behind me as well. So yeah, it was, it was a very interesting, interesting writing experience with the first. I would, book. Oh
2: yeah. I would think so because man, and you actually you go through it. Yeah. So let me ask you, when did you start writing the first book?
1: I was still working as an FBI agent. I was just writing on weekends and kind of off time. Probably the last year and a half, I was, I was still, still working year and a half, two years, maybe when I was still on the job, but it was just a part-time thing, you know, weekends, just something to entertain myself more or less.
2: (laughs) Wow. So when did you finish the first one and send it in and get, people hunting you down, which just doesn't sound good for an FBI agent,
1: but in this case, it was. <laughs> well, uh, I actually did something really crazy, and of course, now as a more experienced author, I realized it was crazy, but I finished the book and had it with, uh, with a publisher, and it has to go through, all my books have to go through pre-publishing review. The FBI has to uh, review the manuscripts before I'm allowed to publish, so I had all that done before I retired, and I retired and launched the book the same day. Now I look back now and wow. I think what had what, that, you know, I should have taken six months. I should have built up uh, my publicity. No, I should have built up different. my platform. I didn't do anything correctly. <laughs> I just retired and launched that book the first day and went out on a book tour.
0: Well, Dana, oh. that, that's one of the misconceptions I think about the industry, right? There's this, you should do it this way. You should do it that way. But everyone, and and what, what are we on? 400 episodes deep. And I can tell you not one story has ever been the same about that first book, that first publication. And it amazes me. And it just shows how ready you were to transition into that next step right from from fbi agent to fbi writer kind of mode that's pretty amazing actually and and don't don't knock yourself because you did something that most people i don't think have the strength to be able to transition and pick up and keep going without missing a beat.
1: Well, so, I, and I appreciate you saying that cause you know, so many people are like, you did what? And I, you know, but wow. it was probably the best thing for me too. Cause you know, I'd gone from a career where for nearly 21 years, I was constantly in motion. I was going, 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 going every day with something different. And I'm not sure I would have adjusted as well to retirement, you know, to go from 90 to nothing. So the fact that I jumped into a second career and I was going 90 to 110, that was, that actually helped me, I think.
2: Absolutely. Well, I, I agree. I think it does help because, you know, I think retirement and uh, I always said, coming back from an HR background for most of my life, I always said, think that you can decide what you want to be when you grow up over and over again but I don't think you can decide to do nothing. I think if you leave a position, retire, whatever, if you don't do something with your retirement, um, then uh, honestly, I think you end up dying quickly because you have to have something that you, you sort of bounce into from that point in time. So now you're three books in, how long did it take you to get all three books? So when, how long has this journey been so far?
1: Well, I published three books in uh, less than five years. So I retired in 2016. And that was, of course, when Behind the Mask came out. 2017, Beyond the Cabin came out. And 2019, uh, Below the Radar came out. So so I hit those three books at a really fast stride, And then I decided to, for my fourth book, I decided to step away from the FBI genre for a bit and write a different kind of book. So this p- this book has taken me much longer than the thrillers have taken because they're it, it's a character driven novel versus the plot driven that I'm used to writing. So I've had to change gears in a lot of ways and so that book is in its final revisions and I'm, um, I'm hoping to have it done and maybe with a agent or something in the next few months. So, so what is that what
2: is that book? Tell tell us about your job. more let's let's let's
0: go
1: on the jump what genre did you shift into now now i'm curious i i kind of shifted into more literary fiction slash adventure i i say it's the big chill meets wild because it is about a group of friends who grew up together they were childhood friends but then as adults they all kind of went separate ways but they're brought back together in their 50s because of a tragedy and they decide they're going out on the appalachian trail to kind of heal But when they get out there, they're all going out for their one friend. But when they get on that, when they get on the trail and they're spending all this time together, they realize they all have baggage. By the time you hit your 50s, you have a lot of baggage. You know, they're dealing with divorce and betrayal and loss and love and a a little bit of everything out there. So there's nothing like those childhood friends. I mean, even if you hadn't seen somebody in 15 years, when you're brought back together, there's just something special about that bond that you have when you're 12, 13, 14 years old that comes back out, I think, when you're an adult. So it's it's been fun to write because although it, it has a lot of serious moments, it also has a lot of comedy because they're not real experienced backpackers. And anybody that's going to try to hike 2,000 miles uh, backpacking is going to have some crazy adventures. So. So it's, I, that's why I say it's literary fiction, but it's also kind of an adventure novel too, because it does have some excitement and, and some fun but, and some comedy. So that's a little bit of everything. Oh,
2: that's fun. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I love that. And it's very, I love that you're doing it from that perspective. And it's very true because we all do. I was actually talking to somebody earlier today. I'm going to be 50 this year. So I was talking to somebody earlier today and there's always those friends that you run into but like, it seems no time has passed, but you forget everything that's built up for them and no time has passed. Right. Right. Um, so that's very, very cool. So what is, you know, now that you've started, like you did this as sort of a hobby stress reliever, you know, release, you're going into your fourth book. What is, what is your kind of goals? Like what, what are you like? I'm an author now. I'm going to. like what take over the world yeah what, what is it that you're looking to do
1: well it it has turned into the most wonderful second career i could have ever asked for i mean i love meeting with people i love doing author talks i enjoyed book clubs when I get invited to come to a book club, I never say no, if, especially if they're you know driving distance for me so I can be sitting in somebody's living room. Usually there's good food and there's wine involved. And <laughs> you know, what better thing to sit around and talk about books with readers, with real readers who want to get to the bottom of everything. And so I love book clubs. And it's just turned into this wonderful thing. I mean, I love my when, I, when a book comes out, the excitement of the book tour is probably one of the most exciting things. And so I want to get this fourth book out because I'm excited to go back on the road and, and get back with some of the book clubs that I've met with. You know, these book clubs are very serious too, boy. Oh, yeah. When you go for one book, they expect you to the second book and the third book. And then, you know, they're hounding me for the fourth one. So even though it's a change in genre, book clubs don't care. They're ready.
0: (laughs) No, no. And I tell people all the time, especially when I have new authors, I said, reach out to book clubs. I said, they, they will support you. They will preach, preach you. They become a street team almost. Um, And, and I always encourage authors support your local book clubs, you know, Um, because they, they really do make a difference in, in your career, but also, um they help motivate you you know like like you said they're already asking they're very hungry all the time and yeah. that's where you you get another another mystery writer or another writer and be like hey and you put them in front of that the hyenas a little bit like here you can on this this person's book while I write over here for five minutes <laughs>
1: And that's exactly right. And it helps your other fellow authors, especially in the authors, we need to support each other. And so if you can, you know, say, hey, look, you know, I've got the perfect author that she's great. She loves to sit and talk to people. And those book clubs will, like you said, they're hungry. They'll, they'll, They'll be inviting your best friend or whatever the next author. But, you know, it is, it's just, you're right. When I had my, I think it was my book launch on my third book. I looked out into the audience and we were doing it in conjunction with a movable feast. So everybody was there having lunch and the whole thing. And I looked out into the audience and I could see my book clubs. I could see like a group of 12 here, a group of 10 here, a group of six there. And it was just tables full of my little book clubs from North Carolina to Georgia it was crazy they they will they will drive to see you as well so it just it was such a heartwarming experience to know that you have that kind of fans that support you and I, I just love them and anybody that doesn't support the book clubs as an author is just crazy you know because it's, it's such a great source of inspiration and support
2: mm-hmm. absolutely I have to ask you what so when you first because you decided, of course, to do this all in rapid fashion and, you know, leave the FBI, go publish books. What was the thing that was the most surprising to you when you published your book?
1: I think it was um, just the the support that I was getting from the audiences. You know, I was a brand new author. I didn't expect, I mean, I knew the FBI has always been kind of an intriguing um, subject matter, but I wasn't really ready for the the groves of people that came to every author talk and, and showed up for um, the library talks. I I wasn't ready for that. You know, I'd go into a library and expect six people and I'd have 56 people. And it was like, wow, where do all these people come from? You know? And so I think that was kind of it. One of, one of the things was just, and, and the sheer amount of work, I think too is another surprise. I kind of thought, okay, you get this book out there and it's done. and, It's just
0: beginning. It's, oh my heavens! Beginning.
1: Writing the book is the easy part. Writing the book is the easy part. Nobody <laughs> believes me when I say that. Oh, once the book it. comes out, oh my gosh, you got marketing and promoting, and and well, you know how it is. That's what you do. <laughs> so, it's uh I, I was a little surprised at the sheer amount of work because I think I really do work harder now than I did as an agent, and I hope the FBI is not listening. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, no, I think, I think that it's, di- it's a different kind of work because, you know, I say all the time, when you become a published author, you become a celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you are. You're a celebrity. And I don't think people think like that. And I don't think people know what it's like to be on all the time. And I, you know, when I say on, I mean, you're talking, you're <coughs> presenting yourself, you know, as I say that as I cough and stuff on my own podcast, but like you get on your, you're having to engage, you're having to monitor the audience, you're having to do whatever, you're thinking about what, how you're answering the questions and that sort of thing, where I think with um, jobs, you get to a point where you're more familiar with the motions of the job, regardless of how busy the job gets and how much you know, things happen with the job, you're used to going into those phases where you're not used to being on all the time and being looked at and being listened to. And you know what I mean? Having people come up and interact with you and, you know, that sort of
1: thing.
0: When you flip to where the business is you, not like you work for a business, you are the business, you're the brand and your books are your product. It is definitely a very different vibe. And yeah, it's, it's, it could be overwhelming, I think, for a lot of authors when they finally, like you said, when you finally get the book out, everyone assumes, okay, it's done with, I've done that part, I'm good to go. And it's like, no, baby. Now you have to let people know the book is there. They yeah. don't know unless you're loud enough to tell everyone, right? Because um, I, I used to, to work for a couple of publishers and they'd come into my office as the typesetter and they're like, wow, this author's upset because their book's not selling. Do you, ha- do you know why? I said, well, how much marketing have they done? Have they told anyone they've published a book and put it on Amazon? <laughs> well, they just put it on Amazon. There's yeah. th- millions yeah. of products on Amazon. How, how, how am I supposed to know what to search for to find their book?
1: Right, I know. And I think a lot of authors, especially first time authors, don't realize that's the case. They think, well, I'm going to publish this book and my then my publisher is going to do all this. They're going to set up a book tour. They're going to do this and this and this and this. And I'm going to be rich and famous. And that is not the case, <laughs> not the case at all. You know, and if an author isn't prepared to toot their own horn, do their own marketing, do their own promoting. Well, then they're going to be like a lot of the indie authors and they're just going to, you know, just going to die on the vine <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah no and that's the that's the unfortunate thing is that um you do have to talk about yourself right and you, you're not prepared for it and it is word of mouth but i think that has actually been the case for even longer than people realize obviously you could go into a bookstore and see what their new releases were and stuff like that but how many books when we were even younger Did our friends go, oh my gosh, have you read blah, blah, right? It's word of mouth, like finding it that way, that sort of thing. Yes, there's always new releases in the library and there's all this stuff like that you can do, but even in the bookstores, like you walk into Barnes and Noble, which I'm so glad they're changing everything and they're like, not just doing whoever is wooing the book buyers and they're doing it by what the demand is of the store. But it can even be overwhelming if you see all the books that are new releases. It's like, where do you go? How do you find what you want? You tend to go to the section that you tend to read, fantasy, romance, thriller, like, you go do that. So I think authors forget that sometimes, too, that even if you are in the stores, that doesn't mean people are finding your books. Yeah, Yeah. you're in the stores, but... You still have to kind of point people and go hey those
1: are my books over there right so. right because especially in a store as big as a barnes and noble chances are you're not going to be out on the end displayed you're going to be buried on the shelf someplace so if you don't send people that's what, one of the things i always do when i do my book tours is i never go someplace where i don't have some type of connection everybody's like well i do book tours but i'll have two people show up i'm like well what was your connection to that city oh well yeah. i just i don't have one I said, well, you, you can't do that. You have to go to places where you have a personal connection. You've lived there. Your cousin lives there. Somebody lives there. Um, and, and that's what, how I started out too, is I, I went to cities where I had a connection. Maybe it was my first office as an FBI agent, someplace where you know that you have a base and you can draw from that base because that base is going to go out and talk to people, talk to people and you're yeah. going to bring in a crowd. So, you know, if I pick just decided I was going to go to Detroit. Well, I've never even been to Detroit in my life. I wouldn't have anybody show up in Detroit. (laughs) If I go to Mobile, Alabama, I can fill the place up. You know, it's just, it it depends on, there's just so many first time mistakes I see people make that I've made too.
0: Right. No, but this is great advice. I don't think we've ever discussed this particular aspect of when you are planning a a book tour, book launch, you do, you like, people are like, oh, you know, all it is is my family and friends. Well, you have to start someplace, right? And right. Have, like you said, if I went to Dallas, Texas, I know my cousin Ginny would be whistling people and corralling people into a bookstore over there because I know she supports me I mean every time I have a book release my cousins are hitting me up on the the family Facebook page group that we have and they're like which books have you released recently I need to buy them Val can you sign them and send them to me your, your family and friends can be your street team just as much as anyone else in your book clubs but yeah that's that's such great advice like don't be afraid. To use your family of friends to help you pull readers closer to you, and then you can let the book do the talking at the point a little bit.
1: Exactly, and you know, sometimes I'll have people that say, "Well, how come you've never done um, a book talk or a, a book signing in, say, Charlotte or whatever?" You know, I say, "Well, how many people can you get me? Let's let's talk about this." What, what's an independent bookstore in your neighborhood? Let's talk about doing this and how many people and how, how many neighbors do you have? <laughs> and if and if it's going to work, sure, man, I'll jump in the car, and drive to Charlotte. <laughs> so
2: uh, I love that. I love that. OK, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Drinking with office. Hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you had. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Eerie Florida book series in Erie Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Eerie Travels. Woo woo! Eerie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about. And I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back. So because you were previous FBI and you were undercover, what
1: was that like?
2: I know you've been asked that question a million times, so the times. Let's ask the million time question.
1: <laughs> well, one of the reasons that I did want to actually write the book and the, turned into books was to show the actual psychological impact of working a long term undercover case. So that's what I did mostly as long term deep cover cases. And there's a difference between just working undercover, you know, and I did a lot of drug buys where I could go in and, you know, buy drugs, sell drugs, whatever I was doing. And I was in and out in a day, two days, maybe a week. But when I did the long term deep cover stuff, that's 24-7. That means you go under and you don't come back out. You are under completely. You have an alias driver's license, alias passport, alias uh, apartment. Um, Your car is in your alias. There's nothing that has your real name in it. And you are under your family can't contact you, your friends can't contact you because you have undercover phones and undercover computers, and you can't have your real identity mixed with any of this stuff. So that's, that's the difference between the long-term stuff with what I did and what we called quick hit. So I did two long-term undercover cases. The first one lasted four years. Cool. And so when I say long-term, I mean long-term. And the second one lasted um, three years. So this is a long time to be undercover and everybody watches television movies and thinks oh it's so exciting it's such a Hollywood lifestyle the the truth is it's a very lonely lifestyle it's um, it can really get to you I mean the first time when I was undercover I was undercover completely by myself and I didn't have any kind of support other than my contact agent who was great fantastic contact agent but that person is the person you kind of meet with to make sure you're okay, He's, he or she is your tethered to reality, but it's not somebody you can hang out with. It's usually another either FBI agent or local police who you're meeting 35, 40 minutes away where nobody actually sees you meeting. And so that's not a buddy. The only people you're hanging out with are targets. And so after a while, you know your mom can't call you, your cousin can't call you, you can't talk to your sister. It, it starts to weigh on you. And so I will say that that four year stint that I did completely by myself, there were days where I woke up and you know you're like, oh my gosh, you know what have I what have I done? And you you know I was single, I didn't have any kind of relationships. You know I wasn't going out on dates because even though I could have, if it, as long as it wasn't a target or related to the case, I could have dated. But how would I have explained at the end of four years? Oh by the way, my name's not really so and so, and I'm actually an undercover FBI agent. I'd like this relationship to continue I mean they're gonna be like you've lied to me for four years and you think we're gonna have a relationship you know so it wasn't even worth trying you know so I just kept to myself and worked my cases and um you know that was that was it was it's a very awesome premise to a romance novel (laughs) well actually it's kind of funny that you say that because they're there is a little romance in this because in between my long-term cases, I went back to Virgin islands, which is where I was stationed at the time as an overt agent. And I hadn't been on a date in a long time. Right. You know, and there was a really handsome FBI agent sitting beside me that had been transferred in while I was gone doing this undercover and uh, really nice fellow. We hit it off. We became friends. And then, you know, where this story is going, we became a lot more than friends and we started dating and, and, I really felt like for the first time in my life, I had a relationship that was going somewhere and this was really going to be a great thing. Well, then the FBI called and said, hey, we need you back in California, you know, another uh, undercover mission. And I talked it over with my boyfriend and he was also uh, an undercover agent with the FBI because you can't just do undercover with the FBI. You have to go through the training and everything. So he was a certified agent as well. So I kind of went to, I found out that the the, the case called for two full-time undercover agents. So I went to him and said, how would you feel about moving to California and becoming a vegan and living in a commune? <laughs> you know? And I thought he was going to tell me, you know, I was crazy because he's worked all this like hardcore undercover stuff. And he kind of looked at me and he said, well, it sounds like fun. It sounds like an adventure. Let's see if we can sell it. So we went to the FBI and said, how would you feel about a couple playing a couple? Well, just the, you know, so we... First of all, the the case agent and the contact agent all thought this is a great idea. Management said, this is a crazy idea. You're a a romantically involved couple. You're going to be working 24-7. You'll probably kill each other. So we kind of pushed and ended up getting uh, approval to do this. So my boyfriend and I went undercover and we did this uh, crazy case, which is the premise for the third book. And... We worked together and it was fantastic. We became each other's lifeline, our backup. We were there together. And so the ha- the good news in all this is he's my husband now. <laughs> so I said- Very cool. Ending. I was like, please
2: tell me this has a happy ending. I was with this
1: with you and I'm
2: like, if this isn't a happy, happy ending, I'm gonna be super sad.
1: <laughs> he is that most wonderful person that's over there keeping the dog quiet for me. So no, we had had a very happy ending. And we've decided after three years of working that kind of intensity as uh, undercover agents together, that marriage would be a cakewalk for us. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine so,
1: but that's,
0: that's incredible. And at least you didn't have to do the second mission alone. Um, and that must've been just a, a relief off your own shoulders mentally, you know, and things like that. I just. I, my hat goes off to you because I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine trying to live as someone else for that long.
1: Well, and you're exactly right. It was such a different experience to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and to be there night and day. And to have that person, so if you started to slide down the rabbit hole a little bit, and like some of the stuff you were thinking about or doing, you had that person to kind of catch you, a safety net that said, you know, let's think this through a little bit. Maybe, maybe we don't need to go there or whatever. So, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't lonely. It was just a, it was a fun experience. It was great. There was a lot of, a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, but and it does weigh on a relationship. I could see why the FBI um, management was a little hesitant in saying yes to the assignment because I I could see where that could have gone bad really easily. But because of our personalities, we, we, we felt like we could do it and we wanted to try. And we do, we spend, even re, as retired people, we spend a lot of time together. And some of my other married couples are like, oh my gosh, how how come you and Bill can spend so much time together? We, you know, I'd kill my husband if I had to spend that much time together. And I was like, well, you kind of have to remember where we came from, <laughs> you know, we're used to spending a lot of time together and we have a little bit of separation anxiety when we're not. <laughs> oh, that is such a
2: sweet story though. That is really awesome what so what was his thought when you finally went hey so i wrote this book what did what what
1: was you know because oh he is fantastic bill is my first round editor he's his grammar is impeccable i think it's probably because he came from uh his mother was a school teacher his sister's a school teacher so he kind of has that uh (laughs) that i don't know that the grammar gene or whatever yes (laughs) so he's my first round editor i give him everything before it ever goes to a professional editor just because you know he saves me a lot of embarrassment (laughs) so he reads everything first and i have to say he he's he's an excellent first round editor because he doesn't sugarcoat anything if he thinks something's not working then he's not going to say oh honey this is wonderful like you like your mother does he'll say, he'll come right out and say, you know, this doesn't work for me or I'm not following this or I think you should go deeper here. You know, he's he's great. And uh, 95% of the time, I take his advice. There's a few times where I'll kind of say, well, I know I like it like this, but I will have to say probably 95% of the time, whatever he suggests is usually the right direction to go. So he's a great first round editor. He's been incredibly supportive uh, through this whole, with the first book, second book, third book, he's always there to help I always call him my Sherpa because he's the first person to log in all the books. <laughs> he's also the person that would be running around taking pictures for me at events. So I have something to put on social media. He's, he's been wonderful. The funny thing was the first book came out, the second book came out, and then he was kind of joking one day and kind of not joking when he said, how come I never made the books? And we kind of I was like, well, honey, guess what? You're in the third book. That's what the that's what the whole third book is about. <laughs> so
0: my my husband uh made me change my dedication he saw the dedication in the first book he goes what is this and I said it's a dedication to you and the kids and he says but all it says is husband I want my name in here because if you (laughs) divorce me
1: and get a better husband I (laughs) you said well that was a backup plan in case you know I get another husband (laughs) uh That's so funny. (laughs)
0: Yeah, he was very, very touchy about that.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, I don't think a lot of people realize just how much work the spouses do. I mean, they, they do a lot of work, whether it's going to events and helping to carry books or just keeping the house going when you're off doing book tours you know there's there's just so many things that he handles behind the scenes that nobody knows about you know well
2: that in the writing process i had that whole conversation with my other half this morning my boyfriend who because i i have a i have a book too um and and actually do unlike you know we're publishers and writers but normally i could be like for my timeline because i'm in charge of all of it but Mm -hmm. this time i actually have a deadline and he's like so what is your writing schedule? Because you need to <laughs> to have get this done. And then how can he accommodate around the writing schedule? Because when you're writing, as much as we don't like it to be a solitary thing, and maybe you could bring your laptop in front of other people, but you're in the thing. It's not like you're having a conversation in writing. Like that's not happening,
1: right? right. Exactly.
2: I, there might be authors out there that can do that, but... Even the most social, I do love writing in um, environments where there's a bit of noise and stuff, background noise, but I'm not having conversations and typing my entire novel, I'm typing my novel. And you know, this is hours and hours and hours of time. And you need somebody who can be supportive and be willing to know that your attention's not gonna be on them or the household or whatever during that time period that you have to be able to go, turn off the phone or whatever, at least for me, I got to turn off the phone because man, it's very distracting and just write. And so having anyone, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a roommate, whether it's a sibling, whoever your support group is that is there to help you do all the other stuff besides writing or talking about your writing or promoting your book is huge.
1: It yeah. is. It is. And, and my husband's also my caffeine dealer too. So he it, like keeps the coffee coming and he knows, I mean, if I've been in there and I'm, I'm on hour four, hour five, he knows I'm in the zone. So sometimes he will slide coffee in front of me and I won't even know that the door has been open and I'll just look down. There's a hot cup of coffee. And so, uh, he bought me this Ember cup from, uh, I don't know if it was Starbucks or where it came from, but it was like this Ember cup that keeps the coffee hot. So, uh, because sometimes I'll get riding and then my coffee's sitting there and it's, you know, cold. So he bought me the Ember cup to keep it warm and hot for me. So he's, he's yeah. my captain dealer. He, he keeps it coming.
0: <laughs> my kids bought me a Yeti cup, a Yeti coffee cup for, for Mother's Day. And I started setting alarms to remind me to take a break to eat. But if I've muted my phone, cause I'm, I'm focused he'll get the alarm on his side because we share a calendar. And next thing I know, I have food sliding in front of me.
1: See, the perfect uh, guy. It it does
0: does help. Uh, And and he'll sometimes ask me, you know, I said, hey, I gotta gotta focus today. He goes, okay, what do I need to get done on behalf of you today while you do that? So it is, it, it can be a team effort sometimes.
1: It's very much a team effort, I think. Yeah, especially, I know on my side it is because if I had somebody that was demanding my time or didn't understand, it would be hard. It'd be very difficult, but yeah, he's very understanding of the time commitment. And like I said, just keeping that caffeine coming all day long is a huge help.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Whatever it is that keeps you motivated. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Um, When you put your book out, like the first reviews and stuff you got, what was that like?
1: That was so exciting. I told myself, oh, don't read reviews because, you know, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Uh, And I couldn't help myself. Of course, you know, as soon as that first book comes out, you're sitting there watching Amazon all the time and Goodreads, what's coming up, what's coming up. (laughs) Yes, refresh, refresh, exactly. And I was blown away at the wonderful things that people said. And it just, it made me feel so good that people are reading the book and then taking time to review the book. Because, you know, just because you read a book, you know, doesn't mean you're going to actually take that extra few minutes to go write a review. And so for so many people to have jumped on and, and write reviews for me, you know, I appreciate every single review. Uh, even if it's from the first book, you know, I just ha- have a whole bunch of new reviews on the first book that just came in, in the last month. And I tried to tell everybody thank you because it's it does mean a lot people think, well, does it really mean that much? Yes, it does. It means so much to an author to get those reviews. And I just, I was blown away. And that's one of the things that keeps you motivated to keep going. It really is. You see people that they write this wonderful stuff and I can't wait for the second book. I love this book so much. That makes you want to write the second book or the third book or the fourth book. So yeah, reviews mean so much. And um, I try to, you know, occasionally you're going to get, the review from a disgruntled person, you know, that maybe I had contact with as a, as an FBI agent. <laughs> but, oh, I didn't yeah. even think about that. Has that, who tell us about that? Because yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> the books deal with the extremist population, you know, the animal rights extremists and things like that. So every once in a while, you'll get somebody that's going to get online and say something, you know, chances are they haven't even read the book because If they read the book, They would realize that I I have a great respect for activists. I don't have a, people are like, oh, you hate activists. I'm like, no, I don't. I love activists. I don't like the people who are doing building incendiary devices and burning things down and blowing things up. That's where I was uh, working as an undercover agent to prevent that kind of stuff. But if you're going to go out and try to change the laws and get, um, you know, I love animals. I love animals. So I have no problem with activists. And um, yeah, and if they would have read the book, they would have probably seen that come through in the book. Well,
2: and you know what? You can't. Uh, so, two parts to that. That I. It's funny <laughs> you say that because I write humorous erotica under Dahlia right? Uh-huh. And I maybe fictionalized some past experiences. Hypothetically, maybe somebody has read the book and been like, "Wait, is that me?" <laughs> may or may not have gone well because I not every story is you know a a sexy story some are kind of cringeworthy stories the look on Val's face speaks volumes because she's read the book and so it's very funny when you write a book of any kind and somebody is in the book right and they go wait wait is this is this me? Is this depicting me <laughs> or some <laughs> variation or some part of a story? And I, I think it's very funny to have people's reactions, but also separately, I've gotten reviews on some of my horror stuff and things like that, where, um, you know, I write not happy endings. And, you know, I've had reviews where people are like, you know, Erica Lance supports suicide. And I'm like, oh, did you did you read the story? You didn't. You just started spouting nonsense, right? You didn't get it. People will not get it. As much as we'd love everybody to understand our intention and what we wrote and things like that, they won't get it. You know, that's, you can pretty much count on people messing things up regularly in the actual thing because, you know, welcome.
0: I've heard this a couple of times, you know, and it gets to the point where I have a one-star review on Honeycoming sleeping with Sasquatch saying it was very unrealistic because his friend put an ad-in on a Craigslist. <laughs> Not the fact that he was Sasquatch. <laughs> and I'm like, it is clearly humorous. It's clearly fi- highly fictional. And it's, you know, but you know, but it shows that you ne- you can't predict your readers. And you have to un- understand who your, who your ideal reader was, right? Like when you take workshops or consult with marketers, they tell you, you have to identify Joe Blow, your reader. And what did that, that person look like? And that's the person you're gonna double down on and, and pitch and market and cater to because that's the person who will get your book the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So yes, when you're reading reviews, be careful. Not everyone is Joe Blow, the reader you intended for. And you have to know how to read those out and don't let your feelings get hurt. Just like you were also mentioning that your husband doesn't hold back on those first edits. Don't let your feelings get hurt because a good editor will be very frank with you, at, you know, like that. And, and I think that goes back to saying that just to be an author, someone has to have thick skin.
1: Oh, yes. I agree completely. If you don't have thick skin, this is not the business you need to be in. That's for sure. That's definitely, um, my, my last edit came back from the editor and um, he wrote like a 20, I think it was 24 page editorial letter. And he says, I've never done this in all the years I've had. He says, but I like the story. I really think it's going someplace, but you just have changed genres. And I, you know, but but although I was upset at some of the stuff I read, the fact that he took that kind of time, that he believes in the story that much and he doesn't want to see me finish it, that meant something to me. And that's what I focused on versus like all those pages of you know what I did you know, wrong. <laughs> it, and that's a good point, especially when you switch genres,
0: what worked for one is not going to necessarily work for the other. and And an editor can definitely help you fine tune, identify where you have to make that shift
1: yes exactly
0: no yeah because we talk about it all the time people are like oh what do you write I have three pin names but essentially at the core I write the same thing and they're all fantasy creature romance paranormal romance type stuff Mm -hmm. but if I ever had to sit down and write mystery thriller I don't think I could I really don't think I ever could
1: Well, and it's the same thing with me, Uh, my, in my first book, I don't know why I kind of thought I needed some sex scenes in there, but I put some sex scenes. And first of all, my husband came back and said, these are terrible. They, they make me cringe. They're so bad. You know, and I was like, thought he was just being harsh and that he wasn't right. So that was one of the things that I kind of thought, oh, no, I'm leaving that in. I I think it's right. You know, so I sent it off to the editor and the editor came back and was like, oh, my, they've got to go. And it's you should never ever write a sex scene you don't you are you can't write sex and so I, you know that's my weakness I am not going to try
0: gonna leave that to
1: the people that can write sex scenes I will stick with them with with the thriller
0: we talk about it all the time it's sort of like a battle scene we have to count where the limbs and and the legs are sometimes we have to draw little stick figures. sometimes we get you know i have kids so I'm like action figures where are they I need these
1: yeah so I'll leave that to the professionals I won't attempt it anymore I learned my lesson
2: (laughs) oh my gosh that's I'm sorry that is hysterical though because it is true we all have things that we're phenomenal at and then we have things that it's like this is cute little pat on the head can you not go into this arena anymore or go take some classes in this arena and then come back because you know
1: well, mine was more like this scene made me not want to have sex ever. So <laughs> it wasn't even a cute pat on the head. It was get rid of it.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, that was abrupt.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't write a sex scene and I'm not going to ever try again.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hysterical. Okay, we are getting to the end of this podcast. I cannot believe it. So let's go to shameless self promotion, my friend. Where can people find you in your books?
1: Well, uh, any, any bookstore can order my books but i'm also on amazon and they're in paperback they're in ebook and they're also audiobook i have um the same narrator did all three and they're wonderful audiobooks if anybody's into the audiobooks uh, kate marson was my narrator she did just a fantastic job she reads way better than i could ever read the parts <laughs> very <laughs> so cool they're on amazon any bookstore can order on barnes and noble um sometimes they'll carry them and sometimes uh, you have to order them but but they can get them pretty easily my website if anybody's interested in some of the backstories on things is it's danaridenar.net. So um, they're welcome to go to the website. If anybody has any questions about the FBI or writing, you know, you talked about earlier, uh, some research, uh, I'm happy to answer questions. I get authors contacting me all the time that said, hey, would an FBI agent do this? Or what's the the rank structure in the FBI? You know, just little, little things like that. I am happy to answer any questions about the FBI. So you know, they can go to okay. my website. And,
2: just so you know, you just
1: round yourself up. <laughs> with me on like, that I
2: got your number.
1: I'm <laughs>
2: Sending an email now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I am serious. I love helping writers. So I, I, you know, I've had so many writers help me and I just, I really believe in writers helping riders and paying it forward. So, um, I, I don't mind one bit, you know, I know people say that all the time, but I really don't mind. No, I don't want to read somebody's manuscript. (laughs) I'll say that.
2: (laughs) But I think it's good because, you know, I actually have, I have friends that were former CIA agents and CIA agents. I can say all these words. Thank you, Uh, Kalua. But, you know, reaching out to go, is this at, because when it's not accurate, if it's not important it's great but if you're saying this this and this happened and it's not how that works and I'm not saying you have to have the procedural guide but if it doesn't make sense the reader gets thrown out of the story and goes wait that would never happen you know what I mean like right. so I think it's great to have experts that can answer questions so that's fabulous that you do that Dana you've been so much fun to have on this podcast you are brilliant
1: Oh, well, thank you. I've had a ball. And, you know, the more we drink, the more fun it gets, right? (laughs) Exactly.
2: Just wait for the next episode. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i have to be careful because wine is my husband says wine is truth serum for me so <laughs> oh so, so i have to be careful what questions come out at the end after i've had enough Don't to do talk. like i
0: do because i'm the same way and then i start shoving food in my mouth because i can't stop and i can't stop saying the answer but i can i can block it with food <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's terrible. Well, we've also discovered that um champagne is not Val's no, friend. No. Apparently oh, no. Val gets super drunk on champagne. She did that on the last podcast. She had a Bailey's <laughs> with glasses. coffee. And she
0: thought... and I not stand. It was terrible.
2: <laughs> she had two glasses, by the way, and was basically on the floor. It was pretty Oh, cool.
1: I tell you, I'm the same way though. I'm a lightweight as well. Uh two glasses for me and I will probably say or do anything. So See, yeah.
2: me on the other hand, I'm like, bring on the Bellinis.
1: Like, <laughs> just
2: kidding. Okay, <laughs> guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co host today has been the not as drunk as she was last time, oh, Valerie Willis. And
0: our guest has been Dana. Like, subscribe, and share.
2: Okay, she totally forgot. No, this I is I the always, Baileys I, we need to write it, this so. down. I get it wrong every time. So don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you guys next time.